Sunday Dispatch. You're listening to Sunday Dispatch on FBI Radio 94.5. My name's Lindsay Riley. Each episode, we take a close look at news stories from around the world and at home, their social and political complexities, and often examine the way they're covered in mainstream media. Inflation. It's something that pretty much all of us have been dealing with in the last couple of years. Petrol, food, rent, plane tickets, now interest rates, they've all been going up. And it doesn't seem to be stopping. But how well do we actually understand the phenomenon that is inflation? How do we stop it? And does our government and Reserve Bank have any idea how to get it under control? We're privileged to be joined today by Dr. Radhika Desai. Radhika is a professor at the Department of Political Studies and director of Geopolitical Economy Research Group at the University of Manitoba. She's also an author. Her latest book is Capitalism, Coronavirus and War, A Geopolitical Economy. Radhika, thank you for joining us today on Sunday Dispatch. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Let's start with the basics today, but I think it's really important that we nail this down early. Australia's current inflation rate is sitting at about 7.8%. Radhika, what is inflation? Inflation is the rise in the prices of many goods and services. Um, And it's not just the rise in prices of one or two or three, it is a general rise. And that also means that it's often connected with the rise in the prices of primary commodities, that is to say, the products of agriculture and mining. So uh, oil, coal, uh, generally energy, food, etc., etc., and so uh, grains, etc. So, And the reason for that is, of course, that these primary commodities go into the production of a lot of things. So if their prices go up, then there will be sort of ripple effects across the economy. In all the products that they are used, the prices of that goes up. So inflation is basically just a general rise in prices. Mm, And it seems like the major cause of this particular inflation is the rise in the price of those primary commodities you mentioned due to major disruptions in supply, like the COVID pandemic, climate change disruptions which are ongoing, the war in Ukraine and the resulting sanctions on Russian fossil fuels and grain exports. But the Reserve Bank of Australia, like many central banks around the Western world, is set on fighting inflation not in a way that deals with supply issues, but with demand ones, raising the official cash rate that banks can borrow money at, which is then passed on as high interest rates as at which businesses or consumers, you know, borrow from central borrow from commercial banks. These interest rates are now the highest they've been in twenty years, and looking like they could hit at least four percent. So, Radhikar, what are the economic ideas underpinning this strategy by the Reserve Bank and other central banks? First of all, uh, one of the explanations that is given is that inflation has been caused by money printing. And this aligns with a view that had been expressed by people like Milton Friedman and many others to the effect that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. That is to say, central banks cause inflation by printing too much money. And that's how you get too much money chasing too few goods. That's the another way of uh, you know designating inflation. So they say you are creating too much money. That's why you've got inflation. Now, this uh, view is very much connected with uh, a certain obsession we've had, a certain preoccupation that that Western countries in particular, and Australia is part part of the West as far as I'm concerned. So Western countries in particular 
have had since the 1980s and 1990s in particular, which is that central bank uh, policy is the only policy that is necessary, not only to deal with things like inflation, but also in general, more broadly speaking, in all forms of economic management. That is to say, if you get central bank policy right, everything should be fine. And but and this also goes back, you know, the last time we had such high inflation was in the late uh, uh, in the 1970s and as see, some people may well know some of the listeners may even remember that it was dealt with by Paul Volcker increasing interest rates or rather restricting money supply so much letting inflate interest rates go as high as they wanted thereby cre- generating a recession that eventually led to the decline of inflation. So now that inflation is rising, what we are seeing is that a number of these trends that kept inflation low before have been reversed. So I don't think it's uh, money printing. The money printing explanation is wrong because the fact of the matter is that our central banks have been printing money. That is to say they have had a loose monetary policy. However, it has not caused inflation for one very simple reason. It's not ended up in the pockets of ordinary people. It has ended up in uh, in uh, initial you know it has ended up essentially uh, into the financial sector which has um, generated systematically generated asset bubbles because after 2008 and the crash of those asset bubbles we now have a so called everything bubble so basically the prices of every type of asset class has been going up so then if money printing didn't create inflation then why is it creating inflation now and it's creating inflation now because a lot of those conditions have been reversed yeah it's interesting isn't it how the dominant economic thought or explanation in this case the money supply argument of inflation that is at the very least you know leaving much out of the picture is sort of weaponized against anyone who would dare suggest any sort of change in the system i saw a labor politician the other day criticizing the greens for offering a policy that would result in the government building more public housing because this government spending would supposedly be inflationary. And this same sort of um, fiscal responsibility argument is made for rolling back welfare payments as well, or any other sort of government spending that would potentially be beneficial to society. Exactly. And, 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 and if capital is incapable of doing that, if you know capitalists do not wish to invest in creating such an economy, then the state must step in. The problem as far as capitalists are concerned with that strategy is that it would show that they are not doing their job and that the state can do their job. That is what the one thing, you know, if, if the state stepped in and essentially took up, uh, 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 took up the investment prerogative from the capitalists, then we would all be saying, well, why do we, if, this, if we can do it via the state, why are we putting up with these uh, uh, useless capitalists who are not even producing very much, who are making money out of rent and interest and so on? So that is the question they don't want to be posed. And that's why for the last several decades, we have been told that central banks are enough to manage economic policy because they don't want, you know, monetary policy is enough because they don't want to use fiscal policy. Because using fiscal policy, talking about government intervention in the economy, etc., would essentially put big question marks around the, the continuation of the capitalist system. So Australia's cash rate is currently around 3.35%. Radhika, how high do you think interest rates will go? So uh, 
uh, now the thing about uh, so the especially uh, and I know financialization is fairly rampant in Australia as well, but certainly in the United States, one of the things that has happened is that the Federal Reserve has suddenly started saying, you know, it has brought interest rates up to about five percent, but now it's saying that it, you know, it it may keep them there, but it's not going to raise them further. The reason for that is very so. So the, essentially, the Federal Reserve is wimping out. It's not going to raise into. It's not going to do a Paul Volcker. Why is that? It's not going to do a Paul Volcker because raising interest rates much beyond this is going to create a financial crash. Okay, and and it's not that the you know there you know the other thing you you have to remember is that in justifying monetary policy changes, our central banks are always talking about the condition of the economy, you know, of way you know and, and employment and and so on and so forth. But in reality, they are protecting the interests of the elites the well-to-do because the, what is wrong from their point of view these uh, you know if there were a market crash is that the wealth of the exceedingly wealthy relies on these asset bubbles right so they they justify their policy by talking about you know how ordinary people are doing and how inflation is bad for ordinary people and so on and so forth but in reality what they care about most is this uh, the these um the wealthy basically that's you know to talk about an independent central bank is basically to talk about a central bank that is it not it is independent of the concerns of the vast majority of people, but not independent of the concerns of the exceedingly wealthy. Yeah, and the argument put forward is that inflation needs to be fought to help working people, but high interest rates are certainly dangerous for working people as well, as it leads to less investment, you know, less employment, and also rising mortgage payments for those with a home. It's interesting looking back at the last time inflation was really high in Australia in the 70s, when high interest rates were put in place and, you know, formerly really strong unions lost a lot of power as unemployment rose, tying in with that money supply theory of inflation that we talked about earlier. There's a lot of talk about wage price spirals, that higher wages for workers are dangerous because they lead to more demand, more bidding up for goods and thus higher inflation. But most working people know their wages haven't gone up. In fact, real wages went down for the first time in a long time in Australia recently. So, you know, you can buy less than what you could with your wage than you could a year ago. So, Radhika, are these political decisions around inflation a class war of a kind? Absolutely. I think that definitely with the COVID pandemic, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm sure this is somewhat true in Australia as well. Basically, the labor force participation rate itself has gone down. And then the remaining workers are, of course, in high demand. So they are able to, you know, there are strikes everywhere. Uh, Workers are demanding higher wages. But remember that all this strike activity is merely beginning to catch up with the lost ground of the last 40 years. So, but nevertheless, yes, uh, essentially, these central banks uh, feel that uh, uh, allowing labor costs to go too much cannot be permitted and an empowered working class is a danger. So now if the only way you have of uh, 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 only tool you're willing to use against inflation is rising interest rates, then what you are doing is you are saying that we don't mind if there is a certain high level of unemployment so long as the value of money is preserved. And why does the to whom does the value of money matter the most? It is for those people who are sitting on large piles of money. 
they don't want so so it is the interest of the rich you are preserving and if the the instrument you use again to preserve that is actually to create high unemployment then you are uh, uh, serving the interests of the rich and negatively adversely affecting the interests of ordinary people because high unemployment is a is is a cost for them every day you don't work is uh, uh, income lost yeah absolutely what about these previous decades of low interest rates? How was that period significant to shaping our economy as it is today? Over the last two decades, we have had such a huge inflation of asset bubbles of every sort. And these asset bubbles have relied on low interest rates because essentially you, in order to make money, in, uh, uh, in speculation, what is often done is what's called leverage trading, which means you borrow a lot of money, you throw it into a trade, you make a lot of money, and then you pay off the interest, the short-term interest, and you return the money. And so you, you keep the gains. The prices of housing has gone up due to low interest rate, but also uh, whether, you know, stocks of various companies, bonds, every, every asset class has actually gone up in price. Mm. And this low inflation that accompanied these previous decades of low interest rates, um, was this low period of inflation intentionally engineered by, by central banks as well? Inflation has remained low in the period between during the 1980s, 90s, the last four decades or so until recently, has very little to do with deft management by central banks and a lot to do with the larger configuration of the world economy, in particular, the imposition of structural adjustment uh, uh, on uh, third world countries, which cheapened the prices of many commodities, the uh, offshoring of production, which cheapened the prices of various manufactured goods, and imposing a policy regime on third world countries, which did not allow them to develop, did not allow their wages to go up. So that has been, broadly speaking, the and of course, the other thing that not allowing developing countries to develop uh, does is, of course, it reduces the demand for primary commodities because any economy that develops will need primary commodities. And if they, you know, if the uh, Africa and, and India and, and, and all, all the poor countries of the world start developing, they will demand primary commodities. Primary commodities are in limited supply. Uh, anyway, I should mention one other important reason for low inflation, and that is the downward pressure on wages within first world countries. Yeah, so if they really weren't responsible for tackling inflation in the past, does that mean central banks won't be able to get it under control now? You know, short of causing a recession, which we don't think they're going to do. And if not, Radhika, what are the solutions for solving inflation? You know, uh, over the neoliberal decades, one of the uh, uh, one of the interesting uh, uh, phenomena has been this cult of the independent central bank, and we are always told that uh, you know independent central banks uh, are the best to you know manage economies. Now we are we can see well. First of all, as as I said, the low inflation was not their achievement. It was in fact the you know uh, 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 the result of uh, factors which were completely beyond their control. And now the situation is now completely different and central banks are coming in for a lot of criticism. But the fact of the matter is that central banks should not necessarily be independent. Central banks should run monetary policy in the interest of the vast masses of the people. And, and, and so in that sense, it should not be independent, but committed rather to running a big productive economy. Because remember, central banks are also responsible for financial regulation. And it is they 
who have created the structures of financialization to really tackle inflation and in generally tackle all the various other ills that our economies face, including high inequality, low levels of productive investment, etc. You have to simply dismantle the structures of financialization and you have to do a root and branch reform of the financial system in such a way that it no longer serves rentier interests it no longer serves spec speculation and is forced to serve the interests of the expansion of production and of course i should add in our era we cannot uh, forget this uh, expansion of sustainable production uh, uh, green production etc etc so yeah We've been talking to professor, author, and economist Radhika Desai about the politics behind inflation. Radhika, thank you so much for coming on Sunday Dispatch. Where can listeners find or follow your work? Um, if they just Google me, Radhika Desai, uh, Manitoba, uh, they'll find my website. They will find my academia.edu page. Um, and uh, most of my publications are there. And I should add, by the way, that my latest book, Capitalism, Coronavirus and War, uh, A Geopolitical Economy, uh, it should interest a lot of people in your uh, of your program. And what's the best thing about it is that a foundation called Knowledge Unlashed chose this book as one of the books it was going to make available for free uh, in open access format. So the PDF is free to download please go, uh, just look for Capitalism, Coronavirus and War, a Geopolitical Economy. And on the publisher's website, there will be a button that says there is open access content. And if you click that, the entire book is available open access. Wonderful. I'll put links up to all of that on the episode description for the podcast. Radhika, thank you again. That's great. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks for having me.